Hello, operatives. Welcome to Once Upon a Kill Team, the podcast about narrative play in Warhammer 40k Kill Team. I'm Sean. And I'm Jason. And we want to talk to you about building stories around the gameplay in this grim, dark, terrible universe. In this episode, we'll be taking you step by step through how to set up and play a Spec Ops campaign. We're assuming you already have a general idea of what 40k Kill Team is and maybe the basics of how to play. If you want to know more about us and who we are and how we got started on this podcast, do listen to episode zero. Yeah, I think we managed to chat about ourselves at least a little bit before getting completely distracted on that. So So there are quite a few confusingly similar terms that get talked about. But for us, spec ops, campaign and narrative all mean the same thing. It's just a series of games where your kill team operatives get to evolve, both gaining experience, but also maybe some wounds or even die. Campaign, however, should also tell a story with a gripping drama and enough highs and lows for all the players to make it interesting. Right. First off, we're going to have a little chat in Hobby Corner and see what we've both been working on. What have you been up to, Sean? I've been kitbashing and painting up my Counts as Warp Coven team for the next for the next campaign. Been putting the finishing touches on my three sorcerers, and I've been building two like stand-in zangles from scratch. I think they're going to be pretty special to me, at least when they're done with. You say counts as warp coven. What are they? What are they actually look like? Well, I'm actually using all my uh, Death Watch HQ models and some of the some of the ones that haven't seen Kill Team tabletop yet. Just means wow. I I get to play with the with the team that I love, but in a completely new and hopefully refreshing way. What in Hell's Gate are you using for the Zangles, though? So my my Zangles. I I'm using essentially like like neophytes, like they're not fully fledged space marines. That's why they're a bit weaker, why they may be a bit uh, bit more unchanged when it comes to charging into to combat. Um, but I've built them up using Phobos bodies, and in my head they're like they're clones of my Inquisitor, so they're all pumped up of these combat drugs and everything, and I'll be doing that, like fluffing that as my uh, boons of zinch. So, so it could be a like random it. thing every battle, just whatever concoctions going through the bloodstream. It sounds good, and uh, I, lo- I love the uh, you've already getting some narrative uh, backstory on these. So I'm really looking forward to hearing more about that uh, oh, yeah. coming up. What about you? Have you uh, have you had anything on the go? It's been a couple of weeks. It has. Uh, well, I've finished off painting my uh, Wormblade team, which nice. I'm really pleased with. Um, uh, I'm no 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 golden you know, demon winner here, but um, uh, they're pretty pretty okay for me and my standard. Um, and I've made a start on a vehicle for them. I tried to have some kind of little vehicle or HQ the teams and i actually got a kind of uh, second world war universal carrier 
I've been building and um, oh, that's cool. uh, painting, and then and then it doesn't usually, you know, this is uh, this, this is not a game with vehicles, so it usually ends up with some kind of terrain. Uh, but that's really cool. I like to have a little kind of growing theme around the stuff. Well, should and, your should your gene stealer cults ever want to visit the ash wastes, I'm sure they'll be kitted out to do so. That's right. That's right. And I, and I think I'm doing it uh, so it looks enough like something industrial vehicle uh, <laughs> rather than just some outright tank sweet yeah that's what i always love from the uh the goliath rock grinder it's like a functional vehicle well i've got to pay the bills before you start a revolution <laughs> <laughs> now before we get to the main segment of the show a word from our sponsors this podcast is brought to you by corn flakes Made from only the finest dried skins of your enemies, these nutritious flakes make the perfect breakfast for any king worshipper of the blood god. Have your bloodthirsty rages not been up to snuff lately? Cornflakes will put you right. If seeking revenge, serve cold. I've always dreamed of being uh, supported by a dark god of chaos, because as you said, those bills are going to get paid. Hey, we'll work for anyone. I think it was made even better by the fact that your voice is recovering from uh, Nurgle's dreaded rot that's been plaguing everyone recently. He got me good. He got me good. And you've got that nice, that nice uh, low gravitas going on. <clears throat> <laughs> right. So, setting up the Spec Ops campaign. How is a Spec Ops campaign different from open or match play? Uh, open and match play are for one-off games. Teams come in fresh and there's no, like, long-term consequences, you know, like, your operatives gaining wounds or battle ranks as they rank on up. Um, does anyone do open play? I imagine some of our spec ops, maybe, with the amount of homebrew we're going to be throwing in in the next campaign, but uh, I'm honestly curious. Like, let us know. Get in touch. We'd love to hear. Um, what I see almost exclusively, it's exclusively, at least on YouTube and uh, on other podcasts, everyone's talking about match play. Uh, the kind that tries to be as balanced as possible and therefore it's good for one-off games and tournaments and especially equally matched teams and players. They're they're like the competitive standard, which we have absolutely no interest in. No, that's not for us. <laughs> <laughs> Winning, well, winning's not for me anyway, that's for sure. Uh, right. Well, OK, so here is um, the meat of today's episode. We're going to talk you through a step by step guide to how to set up a spec ops campaign and uh, probably add a few things that we think are quite useful um, to think about. Um, uh, Sean is going to kind of take you through the steps. And then uh, as an example, I'm just going to sort of show you, mention what I did with my team when I was setting up my um, data slate. Nice. I think that's a good, good idea. So what better place to start? than to choose what models you want to play with. We need to pick a faction and a legal team. Um, we need to create a list that's not a roster. 
So whoever you pick essentially to play in your in your first game is the team that you're going to start the campaign with. So you don't get anyone anyone sitting out sitting out the first game on the subs bench. No uh no backups to begin with. So who did you choose Jason for the for the faction? Well, I'm sure like lots of, lots of folk, I got the Octarius box uh, last summer. Uh, what a what a time! Um, I love both teams. I love both teams, but I kind of um, really wanted to go for the Vet Guard, so I picked them. Um, I opted to go for fourteen operatives, um, so I, I didn't have the air support. Um, I went for the four extra guardsmen, which incidentally. I had to buy it separately. Um, and yeah, and I gave everybody uh, a pitch in, the, in, in, in my list. Wonderful. So once we've collected all the models, or at least got them in our heads and listed down somewhere, we need to give the team a name and maybe a bit of background. That's for us, though. Um, so, okay, so I gave my... Uh, uh my vet guard uh, a vague background that they're sort of a maritime uh come from a, a water world and they're a kind of maritime regiment so they're the 53rd wexmouth maritime infantry um and they're a sort of bunch of ex-fishermen i've got to say i'm not a massive fan of the 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 uh the krieg sort of dower kind of thing going on so i've pretended that they're just from somewhere else um and i've given them all names of uh royal navy admirals from uh <laughs> from the past and of course of course they're being led by sergeant nelson of course i love i love how you've painted them as well they all look like they've got their wellies and and macintoshes on they've come from somewhere wet that's right. You know, it's uh, it's pretty it's pretty damp out there at sea. I think I think in my in my in my sort of background bio, it's it's like this incredibly windy, storm drenched water world that they uh, they come from. Yeah, your guardsmen aren't two two steps away from all having one of those rubberized yellow bucket hats. Southwest. <laughs> <laughs> um. So we already touched on it briefly. So we've got all of our models and we've got a name for the kill team itself. Uh, but we need to give each operative a name or at least a number, you know, if you're not feeling that imaginative or if you've got hordes and hordes of Hormogaunts and you're just like, I cannot be asked naming however many they get in each fire team. But you're just going to be one, two, three, four, five, six. You're not going to live. We can we can just keep replenishing ranks later on. So, once we've got names, and we've got a name for the kill team, we need to choose where they're going to be operating out of. This is going to be their base of operations. Where do they live in between matches, in between missions? This is a, a really good opportunity for a bit of fluff and flavour that uh, is completely up to your imagination. So I've got my guys apparently operating off of a off of a boat that they either go up a river or they uh, they come to the coast on, uh, and of course it's a it's a victory class recon boat uh, <laughs> to go with the uh, the Nelson theme. Um, I would love at some point I have to say to 
build this boat. And it's, it's also worth mentioning, um, no one ever sees this base operations, but it is just a, a metaphorical thing to think about. Um, You're exactly right. Uh, unless unless you take it on yourself, this doesn't exist physically. No, but I would I would like to build it physically. <laughs> I think it'd be wonderful, at least for display purposes. One day, one day. Uh, but it is, you're going you're to get lots of stuff. What we'll talk about later, and this, this some of this is going to live in this base of operations. So once we've chosen where we're going to be operating out of, we need to choose what spec op uh, our team is going to try and accomplish first. Over the course of the narrative campaign, you could complete anywhere from just the one spec op to like. I think some of the people in our group are up to maybe four or five just from sheer volume of games playing because you can progress through them without necessarily having to win just by ascertaining certain uh, goals that they want you to reach. There's normally a couple of steps in each one and then a nice reward at the end. So it's worth bearing in mind that some of these spec ops require specific tack ops or secondary objectives to accomplish each one so some may ask for play at least five games where you've scored using headhunter or execution or seek and destroy or marksman that 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 kind of thing and but you don't have to win you just have to play a game where you scored using one of them and it's worth bearing in mind that the bespoke teams that come in in the box sets and in White Dwarf, they normally have at least a couple of their own to choose from. Yeah, and that's what I went for. So I, I, I went for Grand Offensive for my, uh, for my veteran guardsmen. This idea that they're a kind of recon team preparing for this big overarching attack that is going on somewhere behind the scenes. But but the point you make about uh, checking your tack ops is worth worth, <laughs> worth mentioning because um, I think I've played I played five games with them without scoring any of the crucial tack ops that oh. I needed to actually do. Um, so uh, it's made me it's made me really look at like, those secondary objectives and that are in a given tap tack op. Um, am I is it something my team's good at scoring? Uh, so do have a look at that. And, and, and the other thing that's worth mentioning, I guess, is is if you do a couple of games in, find that maybe this isn't the one suited to your particular style or team, you can change it. You can change definitely, it. definitely. So we talked earlier about how we could upgrade our base of operations. These are our strategic assets. Cool stuff that you can install at your base and you can call on either in-game or at the end of the game. For example, your tactical uplink can be this communications array that's attached to your to your boat, and that gives you one free CP every turn to use on attack op. Or it could be your med bay that you've had installed so that at the end of the game, if someone might die... I think we get a nice re-roll. Re-roll on the casualty check. So we start with a capacity of two. So we can have two of these base upgrades at the start. You have to pay for them with the requisition points, but I'll get to that in a little bit. 
One thing that is completely optional that I've only just started doing myself is maybe to have something physical to show for each one. I've just built myself this little little comms array to represent my tactical uplink because I have played far too many games now that as I'm packing up all my stuff, I've realized I could have had four free uh, tactical ploys throughout that whole game and I may have even won if I'd used them. <laughs> but I figure it, I'll probably remind myself if I've got if I've got something to look at next to my little CP counter. Oh, I really like it. And also I think that's just something that's just really nice to have as having your collection. So for for my strategic assets, the uh, I picked uh, Medbay, which I think is more or less an auto pick if you've got a squishy team like the veteran guards. And I, I, I picked one of the uh, the the vet guard specific ones uh, called uh, preliminary bombardment, which turns out not to be the most optimal one, but I did think it was thematically fantastic. So this it's the idea definitely of, fun to use. Yeah, so it's like a mortar barrage on one heavy what uh, one heavier piece on the board, and it means that uh, your opponent can't set up engaged on it. So I think the idea is they've all got their heads down because shrapnel's pinging about got to take cover from all this uh debris flying everywhere uh it's been useful a couple of times (laughs) so we talked about all these strategic assets and and a couple of other things and we need to buy these using requisition points at the start of the campaign we start with four of them and we can spend them on a whole myriad of things uh for example, you could gain an extra operative or uh, ascertain a strategic asset or there's a, there's a big long list that's detailed, detailed out in the Spec Ops rules. But importantly, you can replenish this because you get one at the end of every game, win or lose, and you can't have more than five. But this is kind of your currency in the narrative campaign for upgrading the kill team itself, as well as their base of operations. Uh, And it's worth noting again that all the bespoke teams get bespoke stuff. They get more toys to play with. Yeah, the other thing that uh, is absolutely crucial on on requisition points is that um, you don't generally get any, or you don't, as standard, get any equipment in narrative play, unlike in, um, in a match play where you generally get 10 equipment points. So you start the game with no equipment points and you have to buy them. And one RP gets you five equipment points. Mm-hmm. So again, it's uh, uh, equipment for most teams is generally pretty good. And uh, it, I, I would recommend, especially if you're starting, uh, get at least two RP worth of equipment points to start with. I agree. Just so... At least it feels like when you're playing match play, at least, like if those are the kind of battles you're used to and say you need to take two crack and two frag grenades and suddenly you're limited to one of each and you're like, oh, I used to have an awful lot more bang for my buck. Well, if you buy your two RPs worth, you can have those to play with. I think it's also worth saying that you can buy yourself an expanded armory as a tactical asset which means that during a match you could take up to 14 equipment points worth of, worth of stuff. I think our, our um, 
our friend Guy used to do that. And in, in the days before it got nerfed, his commando team would turn up with three lots of dynamite, I think. That yeah. Was pretty, that was pretty painful. I kept telling him he can just stay on the other side of the board, but he insisted <laughs> on running up next to me. <laughs> Damn those orcs. <laughs> so some people might get nitpicky about the fact that you spend one RP to get five equipment points worth of stuff. But if you spend two, I'd say that you could buy 10 equipment points in any mishmash order. And if three, you know, 15, go for it. But all the stuff that you buy doesn't, well, for me, it doesn't have to add up to multiples of five. And I'm sure most people playing a Spec Ops campaign will hand wave that. If you're investing the RP, you know, I'm not going to penalize you. So at the start of each match, we have a nice thing in Spec Ops where it tries to invite a bit of balance, where we get to add up each team's number of battle honors and strategic assets. And whoever has the least gets an extra one CP or two EP, so an extra command point or an extra two equipment points for every two less that you have than the person who has more. That sounds really confusing, but if someone's kitted out with more battle honors and has more strategic assets than you, chances are you're going to start the game with a healthy extra chunk of two or three or even up to five extra CP or so many equipment points. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, we we played a game where quite a few of your operatives, maybe all of your operatives had, had upgraded and none of mine had. And I think I got quite a ha handful of quite, I, I could profligate the command points during the game, which was quite nice. Yeah, yeah. You had them, so you spent them, mainly because you needed to, but... <laughs> yeah. Uh, but this, this should, in theory, work out. Um, the only thing you, I think that's um, worth keeping an eye on, especially if, if, you, if you're thinking of... Uh, trying to make these as balanced as possible is is that uh, not all battle honors are created equal some of no. them are absolutely amazing for the given character and some are you know maybe really situational for their use so you know use your common sense uh, on balance but there's a there's a there's a there's a way of doing it if you need it so next up before we've even started playing we need to choose our tack ops or secondary objectives Ideally, we want these to align with whatever spec op we've chosen to try and accomplish over the next couple of games. And the nice thing about the shuffling of the deck for your narrative teams is that you're not limited to just the one archetype that, uh, that your fire teams would normally be locked to. So again, before we've even started the game, we need to select our tack ops or our secondary objectives and making sure that these align with what we want to try and accomplish in our spec ops. We've got certain tack ops that we need to try and score so that we can tick them off on the spec ops card. It's worth noting that bespoke teams also get some faction cards that they can shuffle in. So we could choose up to three of these faction cards and then the, remain th the remaining three of the six uh, tack ops that we get to shuffle and choose our three for the game. The remaining three can be from uh, an archetype of your choosing. Next up, we've got to play the game. 
we need to consider whether we're using specific narrative scenarios from Octarius, Chalnath, or Nakmund. And while you're playing, keep a note of who was incapacitated and who gained any XP. I've got about two notebooks now. I've started from the back on both of them. How do you keep track? Yeah, I've got a little notebook and yeah, I can't uh, I can't emphasize this enough, but don't lose track of who's or, or, or definitely make sure that every, you, you count all the XP that you are eligible for during a game. It's worth uh, it. When I, when I was first, I'm sure the first two games I've played, I, I mostly forgot and mostly even when I remembered it was because my opponent was kind enough to, to remind me. Yeah, so have have that. So as a minimum, keep a note of who was incapacitated, who got an XP, and and ideally for what. And just uh, just as a reminder, you get an XP for killing any number of opponents. So whether you kill one or one, if if if, if my sniper, who's pretty good, if he wipes out the, the entire enemy team, it does. Yeah, he still only counts for one XP. Yeah, sadly, uh, the... uh, I think we started this campaign as like, man, I am raking it in, just mowing down <laughs> these vet guard. And then Sal went, uh, guys, it's um, it's just one XP if you kill anyone, not not just tallying them up. I was like, oh, I guess you two both get a a demotion, down a battle rank, <laughs> take you back down. It's like it's like fighter pilots sort of claiming how many kills they had, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm an ace, I'm an ace. Um, uh, the, the other thing, this this bit's much more optional, but do make a note of cool, cool moments that happened. Um, in the heat of battle, you can sometimes forget it. Like, who pulled off a cool shot and who, who did the most ri- ridiculously unlikely save. Uh, you know, I'm still um, dining out on on just an ordinary trooper, you know, tackling a gene stealer in hand to hand. So, <laughs> um, uh, note these down, and and and, you, and if if you have time, be as be as generous with those notes as possible. I am a big advocate for taking photos of these moments as well. Oh yeah, because my memory's yeah. shocking, and it's much easier to remember things by looking at them. Yeah, and you're still a young man, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> so we've played our game win or lose we're on to the post game so for every operative that was taken out of action we need to roll a casualty test so every operative that was incapacitated has a chance for injury which is called a battle scar or even death we're going to roll a one to six first and on a one they're either going to suffer an injury or on a two to six they're fine if we did roll a one we've got to roll another d6 and if we roll a one on the second d6 then i'm afraid it's time to uh strike them off the data slate they're done with they're they're gone uh but if should you choose to replace them uh luckily you know Terry Jr. has uh, just been requisitioned and uh, is here to stand. <laughs> yeah, I have to say, as a as, a, as owner of a squishy team, uh, it's a long casualty roll uh, at the end of every battle. Uh, although yeah. I did play one uh, in the week um, 
where I only lost three operatives. And that's the that's the the least killed I've had ever. It was a uh, amazing. Um, but I would I would overall say that, that one thing I do like about this game is it's not too cruel. Um, particularly once you you've got a few games in, maybe you know a couple of your guys have have upgraded, and you you kind of get a bit emotionally attached. Oh yeah. This this game isn't too cruel. You have to be quite unlucky. Yeah, um, I haven't had any of my operatives die die. I've had a couple of injuries here or there, but as you as as we said earlier with the med bay, we can re-roll that uh, injury roll. Yeah, if anyone has been in a blood bowl league, which I think is one of the cruelest games ever made for players. Getting a bit of experience and then be <laughs> getting killed in a game. Um, this is this feels a, a bit nicer, and, and there's even uh, yeah, there, there's lots of ways to avoid your your favourites uh, going forever. Do you think it's worth running through what uh, what potential injuries we could accrue? Uh, no, I think we should save that for another episode. We can talk about uh, leveling up properly in a different episode. I think perfect. So we've done our casualty tests. We've seen who's lived, who's died, and who gets to limp away to live another day. Now we get to spend some RP, should we want. If anyone did die, we could spend an RP to acquire another operative. Maybe we replace, you know, that, that plasma gunner that's never coming back. Oh, look, here's a replacement. Good as gold. He's a fresh newbie, but he's there. And you can also spend your RP on a medivac or... You know, maybe maybe you're like, oh, that game, I really needed that tactical uplink. Maybe I'll treat myself after this one. Any which way. If you do have anyone that is injured, you can do a recovery test after the game to see if you lose a battle scar. And if you didn't field them in as many battles as, as it is, you can add one to the roll for each battle that that operative, you know, Sergeant Terry had a had sapped strength he had a, a minus one to his weapon skill but luckily he's been sat out for two games so he gets an extra plus two to his recovery roll and it is worth sitting them out if you can but obviously jason you were rolling with a plasma gunner who couldn't dash anymore wasn't it yeah he's now not dashed for two games because he's uh he's got a bit of a limp uh, in fact i've, I've narratively got him having as a um a robotic foot he had his foot shot off uh no he's he's i can't lose a plasma gunner for a game so he's he's been um hanging in there with his comrades but i'd say the elusive role of a five and a six has um you know stayed away well maybe maybe it gets solved maybe you know it's too damp on the water world and his little metal foot's rusted up so he's got that limp for good now Maybe. I will still I will still keep rolling though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bit WD forty fixes anything. Yeah. So the experience that we tallied up earlier, we're gonna add this all up onto our operatives data slate and see if anyone's crossed a threshold for leveling up or ranking up from adept to veteran onto ace, grizzled, or even revered. Every time they rank up, they get an extra battle honor. You can roll for it or choose from the specialisms that each operative has access to. It's kind of dependent on your group. 
we're big fans of RNG letting the dice decide our battle honors in our group, I think. Not not so much on the min-maxing. But if in your group you want to, you know, fine-tune and tweak your, your kill team to your heart's content, as long as you communicate with everyone and everyone agrees, go for it. And and this is the um this is the good chance to you know, build this into your narrative. What 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 extra skill have they got? Did what what did they do to get it? So my my leader, Sergeant Nelson, very very much unlike the real Nelson, who was severe, severely injured in many battles. Um, he's now um, Sergeant Nelson is now in, in, invulnerable. So he he uh, AP does not affect any any you know he gets shot. Nice. Um, and I think I'm, I'm I'm giving him the idea that he's now got this kind of sixth sense for for ducking behind a bit of cover or. The hairs or, um, on, a, getting... on the back of his neck. That's right. That's right. Uh, so that's really useful. So and you can build these kind of things in, uh, and make a bit of a story about it. Nice. I th- I I know that on my uh, plasma gunner I've got crack shot. So if I retain a critical hit while I'm shooting, I'm also automatically doing a mortal wound against someone. So he's he's so good with his plasma guns that he's chipping away at you before he's even hit you. Damn him. So that was post-game. We have a very optional post-post-game. And I think this may be the best bit out of the the whole process that we've been to to get to this point. We need to determine an MVP. Who on your team played best or pulled off the most incredible shot? Who killed the most enemies or snuck around into the enemy's deployment zone just to sneak off the edge of the board and score you a couple of extra points? Just taking note of these moments can add leaps and bounds to to your enjoyment. I know it does for me. Yeah, I I've only only started doing this kind of thing after about five games or something, and I really love it now. I keep I keep, I now really look out for like the top who who pulled off the most unlikely series of you know events or battled somebody you know, well out of their league. Um, and it's really nice to document and uh, who the who the key player is. And and over time you kind of get an idea for who are the who are the heroes of your team who Yeah, all your, who's all doing your operatives it. start becoming heroes in their own right in your head. That's right. And I I really think that this 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 kind of adds a richness and a, and a layer to this whole uh, you know, what is what is a relatively confrontational game but you can have you know, add this sort of rich layer to it which i love another thing that i love from our group is that we've been writing up battle reports and putting photos attached to them and telling a story of the mission does it progress your spec op have you just completed like i recently just completed uh retrieve architect and got myself a rare piece of equipment uh and I had to fight your guys off of their bunker to do so. Yeah, I wish they'd put up a slightly better better fight of it, but uh, I was pleased to see you've you've reached your goals. No, no, the Death Watch <laughs> really wanted it, so we just we, we just took you out and and claimed the Xeno the Xeno artifact as our own. And now my Infernus Heavy Bolter hits with a bit more of a punch. 
But we wrote up a fantastic battle report between the two of us, and now it's immortalized. It's up in digital text somewhere, I think, on Discord, maybe on Reddit as well. Uh, just, yeah. Just, oh, go on. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I mean, uh, um, uh, and you can add as much or as little detail to this as, as you want, really. I, 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 I've been keeping a kind of, you know, a running pretend diary of the, of the scouts team um, that I'm running. And uh, yeah, it sort of builds up a, a story over time. And I'm, I'm going to sort of continue that when I, I go to the, the sort of new team that I'm hoping to in a few weeks and what was quite nice about if 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 you write it from your team's perspective and your opponent writes one from their team's perspective and uh you know the first the first casualty of war is probably truth and <laughs> <laughs> um you can see what what's bit spin each side has put on it because don't forget this is for your own enjoyment um it doesn't have to necessarily be the, <laughs> the, the truth of it it can be what you you know so i i, I write mine with the idea that this is what's uh, a re, you know a battle report being given to to sergeant nelson's superiors so sometimes yes, he has to yeah. just justify why they lost again <laughs> um which he's he's getting good at but uh but yeah so, so this is a, another way you can kind of you can add to that um, richness. So whatever your faction is, you can kind of write it in that in that style. If you want to write something up or, or pretend it's, um, I'd love the idea of a sort of an, a Harlequin team writing a, a play. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful! Uh, a multi a, you know, multi act play about their spec out. Wouldn't that be amazing? Um, uh, you know, so you know whatever your whatever your faction is, there's something for everyone. And you can make it as rich as you want to. That's so good. I know that uh, Ricardo in our in our group does them as though they're walkie-talkie communications across the battlefield. Nice, nice. But he puts in all the right in between all the punctuational words getting cut off. It's fantastic. Yeah, no, really good. Um, at some future point, I might, I might. Uh, make my, my battle reports uh public somewhere maybe um just bear in mind uh i'm not a black library writer uh, and this is um just for fun <laughs> that's all right i think i think if anyone's gone to the effort of seeking out your battle reports to read i don't think i really hope not i don't think they're going to be there to criticize your uh prose well, it's a it's a terrible terrible future out there. <laughs> it's grimmed up, some may say. Yeah. So that's it. We've played a game, but I think it's worth talking about how many different ways there are to play narrative. Like you said that you picked up the vet guard from Octarius box. Maybe maybe you and a friend could grab one of the upcoming release box together and split it. You get one team each, and then you get to play a series of games together. We are part of a group that's a splinter faction to the to the London Wargaming Guild, and we're all we're on this Discord together, and we just arrange, you know, kind of ad hoc who's free, what night. Great, I'm playing against Commandos next Thursday. Wonderful, I'll see you there. 
it's it's a lot more loose but some people prefer something with a bit more structure some something that means everyone gets the fair play at fighting everyone else and play a bit of a round robin it's kind of like a sports league just means there's a bit more structure and that most people get the same amount of games in and if you're unfortunate enough to not have access to any of them or like a local gaming group around you you can play on your own run your own narrative game people call it sad hammer but i call it glad hammer because you get to make your own stories it's like playing D D on your own it's just roll, fun to roll dice sometimes uh yeah i just think the any, anyone solo playing a campaign of kill team just gets extra cool points from me i think that's an amazing thing to do not least of which just trying to how much you've got to keep in your head with each game you know, my, I, I salute anyone out there pl- playing a campaign on your own. And, and I think we'd love to hear from anyone um, doing any of these, I think. Um, but, but I think one, one, one thing that's, that's good to mention is that there's no, there's no real right and wrong ways of organising these things. I Not think, at all. Uh, find what's comfortable between you and your friends or, you know, we were all strangers. I, I didn't know anyone uh, before I signed up for this group so it's it's a, a narrative campaign like this is is a great way of, of meeting new people and you know getting to getting to do a fun activity together uh, that isn't just a one-off game you can, you can keep it going but do do it it's good to agree some of these things before you start just so everybody knows uh, on what page you're on yeah and just so just so like a, a level of expectation set between everyone Everyone just wants to have fun. So however you end up doing that, if it works, it works. Now, one thing I thought was interesting just to just to raise was the idea of uh, whether or not to somebody in the campaign group acts as a kind of game master or a GM. Right. Sure. Because there's, there's a possibility if someone's willing to take that role, they can add a whole... Um, other layer of stuff that they can add in so someone can make sure that things things remain loosely balanced so if somebody's a particularly hot player perhaps the the gm can make their games a little bit more challenging if someone's been struggling a little bit perhaps uh, a little little bit of a boost can be can be given there um and also you know so in our group we you know we've got someone who often gives sets up missions does does uh, bespoke missions something again we want to talk about on a future podcast um so one's not just out of the box uh we've done three player missions for instance and someone's been the person to kind of guide us and create us with this kind of thing and particularly if anyone has a role-playing game background a gm background for one of those maybe they're the perfect person to to sort of uh appoint a point to this position yeah i i've come from many many years of running various D games and i was gonna run offer to run a narrative campaign for for lwg and just as i was about to message the whatsapp group rgm snuck in and just went oh does uh i'm thinking of running a narrative campaign would anyone like to join and i let out this sigh of relief going like yes Someone else can do this this time. I'm gonna have fun playing, <laughs> but no, he's, so, he's done so wonderfully. Nice. Yeah, no, we've done we've done great, and um, seeing as we're 
we're coming to the end of our current campaign. It's sort of building up to a crescendo. Yeah. I was on a, a bit of a losing streak right at the start of the campaign with with uh, seven losses under my belt. And, and uh, Sal went, Sean, I think you can take the sixth body. So I just want it said first that Sal did six Marines before it was cool. And it only helped some of the time. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it was the right thing to do. And uh, it's nice to see uh, GW um, taking notice. <laughs> yeah, copying our homework. Well done. So one of the main reasons that we're picking up this podcast is we're about to go into campaign two, start afresh, some new teams for some people. Some people only are carrying on with theirs. And do you have any, like, high points or what what was some of your your favorite moments jason about from from campaign one as we're as we're coming to a close well uh well one, one of the highlights uh just because it was just just quite odd was uh we had a one uh three-way game so i played a high high fleet tyranid and a commando team against my vet guard and uh, I think I remember in the battle report I complained that the it was the least orky behaviour I've ever seen because that player sort of hung back a bit and just let let the Tyranid player and I duke it out and then when we were suitably weakened he came in and cleared it cleared up. <laughs> well, these, <laughs> Which I was... these these commandos think differently to the to the regular boys. They're cunning. That's right. That's right. And I, I, it was it was nice for me to write that in as like they were just being brilliantly un untypically orky um <laughs> and yeah so i mean that the game the game we played with um evac inbound where i sort of you know start off with half the players in this kind of fort in the middle and these scary death watch marines turn up and um i think uh i think i like to pretend in that one that it was a case of friendly fire because I was no, we're on the same team, and then you plasma blasted one of my guys, and uh, <laughs> he was eviscerated. <laughs> yeah, and then I think I yeah, and then I, I sniped one of your guys. Anyway, but just that um, miss you know, blue on blue friendly fire. Yeah, mis misidentified or something. I kind of kind of wrote that into the story, and just things like my um, the vet guard sniper. Is easily the person who's got the most kills on my team, uh, and has turned out to be a bit of a sort of ruthless kind of operative, really. So he's he's really blossomed. A cold-blooded uh, hunter. Yeah, and Sergeant Nelson, he he often gets uh, thrown forward in sort of some kind of suicidal stroke, brave, incredibly brave move. And I I, I played uh, I played some traitor marines in one game, and he. I had this, it's all in my head. He has, he has a plasma pistol and a chainsaw, and he was going to run forward. And it was the guy was already a bit wounded. He was going to plasma pistol him, take the objective. This was going to score me a couple of points. I was going to be really set up. This was turn two or three, I think. Of course, he ran forward, rolled a bunch of ones, hit nothing. <laughs> didn't get any didn't get any objective got vaporized in the next activation <laughs> i think i sort of wrote that one up as he went off tripped over his own feet fell on the floor <laughs> and, and then got bolted to death i think um anyway so the, you know the the um i've had a few highs and lows but the uh but it has been quite fun enough 
I've at least learned now how to play the team kind of properly uh, and use use all the tools. The thing about these, particularly the, the box teams, is they have um, each character has three or four unique things that you've got to keep an eye on every time. Everyone's got so many rules. Yeah, yeah. Definitely don't start with them. But um, anyway, it, yeah, those are, those are good for me. Uh, what about you? I have a couple. One of my one of my absolute favourites was one of my earlier games, and I'd watch Sergeant Luxio charging headfirst into three different veteran guardsmen, not yours, charging charging into three vet guard, and taking fighting twice, taking two of them out in melee, only for the last guardsman to to fall back, and then for his mate to just throw a little frag grenade and just completely took me out, made none of my saves, and there's there's tiny little. Gr- after crushing two grown men, <laughs> this little grenade just went whoop. I was like, oh, he's gone. Take him off the battlefield. <laughs> yeah, there's just breaks. A real, a real momentum holder. I was like, oh, it just turned on me just like that. Well, dear listener, I think you can kind of get from, from the way we talk about this that, that we even get enjoyment when the dice are not rolling for us because <laughs> because when you get a spectacularly poor save or your hits don't go off you know at least when you're playing narrative you can write this into the stories of your characters as you know um they weren't praying to the right god or the emperor was not with them or they didn't burn know, enough incense did burn enough, i didn't i didn't uh, yeah, the, those, the those machine god. <laughs> <laughs> those ones uh, are as important as all the sixes. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and I think I think I, overall, I, I, I over most of the earlier games, I forgot to add any RP after each yeah. game. So I know that know that now. And I think I've just wanted to, especially going into a new season, I've got, I've got a real strong, much stronger idea about how I'm going to document games make make a make a bigger deal out of building the characters of each of the, the operatives in my team and uh yeah i think that that'd be i feel really set up for starting again who knows at the end of this we could have another gaunt's ghosts on our hands if you're if you develop all your bookkeeping uh no <laughs> i don't think i don't think i i think i think i'm getting better oh, i suppose this is the other thing if anyone is uh what you know is interested in creative writing this is a great bit of background to just have a bit of fun with if you've got any ideas in that that stretch. I certainly don't professionally, but I, I do find it quite fun. It's nice to flex the up. imagination. Yeah. So that's um, almost everything uh, that we wanted to talk about in this episode. So the topic for our next episode will be how kill teamy is your kill team? Which teams fit the idea of Kill Team the best? How special forces, insurgent, recon, behind-the-lines, guerrilla-type team are they? And don't worry, we'll, uh, we're going to be ranking them. It's like a top-of-the-pops top 40, but with more orcs and demons. It's going to be a lot of fun. And if what you've heard on this podcast sounds even remotely interesting, just remember, we'll only be getting better. And for every subs- subscription to the podcast... Your sisters of battle team will get twice as many faith points in their next match. Thank you for joining us on Once Upon a Kill Team. And just remember, it's not whether you won or lost, it's whether 
your Chaos Legionary Butcher cut down three Corsairs in close combat, surviving on one wound and managing to take that game-winning objective in the last turn. See you next time.